And I said, you're basically giving me the decision of, do I want my job or do I want to do what's right here? And I told them that's an easy choice for me. I would do what's right every time. I was willing to give up my job. You know, just like physical illness, mental illness can be overcome. We just got to inspire people to believe that. The mental health community and the firearms industry have spent way too much time running parallel to each other without communicating. It's time we change the narrative and destroy the stigma that we both face. Walk the Talk America presents Guns and Mental Health, a podcast for firearms owners, clinicians, and the curious public. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Walk the Talk America Guns and Mental Health Podcast. We are, again, interviewing somebody very interesting and who has a really cool story. We, we keep getting these people, Mike, and it's really, it, it's humbling, um, but it's also somewhat distressing that the, that the stories keep surfacing one after another after another about people who've had, you know, negative encounters with the system or negative encounters with personal life and, you know, found a path through it. Uh, but we, we, we enjoy bringing these things to light and then hearing personal testimonies because they, they end up being triumphs and successes. But uh, how are you? It's morning here. It's snowing in Reno, even though it's late May. It's, it's nice and sunny and windy down in Las Vegas. But yes, I'm, exi- I'm excited for today. Um, and before we started the show and I, I was talking with Sandy, I was we were kind of going over just the, her situation. And, and I said that these are the these are the anecdotal examples that people, you know, throw out there, but they don't know the, the background of these things. Well, that's not true in New York or that's not true in New Jersey. And we can't educate each other when it comes to the, the firearms industry and the mental health community when we're, we're speaking with each other. If we, if we can't point to examples of where these these holes are, right, uh, and we can't make any progress towards it. So I'm really excited to have you on today sanity it's it's pretty awesome so we should probably introduce our guest now that we're done being long-winded about ourselves uh <laughs> sandra richardson goes by sandy uh you are coming to us from new york you're a i guess a, a nurse and an epidemiologist by trade uh you work in population health uh but explain a little bit about uh, who you are and how you found your way to us if you would please who i am wow well we all wear we all wear many hats we do we do I'm, I'm much more than just, you know, what I do for a living, what my background is. Yes, I'm an RN for a very long time. At this point, I don't practice because I, I do work and use my skills, um, my epidemiology training. Uh, so I do work in population level health. Um, and with that said, I'm going to give a disclaimer that this, this conversation has absolutely nothing to do with my employment. I do not represent my employer in any way. Uh, this is just me, Sandy Richardson talking, sharing my experience, my thoughts. But in addition to that, um, as someone who understands health data very well, I'm also a wife of almost 36 years. Okay. I am a mother of two wonderful adults now. Um, and I'm grandmother to two wonderful young children, two-year-old and a six-year-old. Um, you know, I'm a friend, I'm a colleague. I'm a great many things as, as everyone is. Um, and, and you're a human being and your story starts with, uh, you know, being human, we go through distresses 
from time to time. And one of those distresses you encountered last year uh, at the outset of the pandemic. Take us through the 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 process of what you encountered and and why we should all care. Okay, so right, so I'm here today basically to share my story of what happened last year, and quite frankly, it's it's ongoing. Um, so little little teaser there for you know this is not the end, um, because this is something that should not happen to anybody. All right, uh, fortunately. I will say that because of my background, because of my life experience, I had the health literacy, I had the emotional bandwidth, and I had the financial resources to do something about what happened. I don't know that most people would have that combination to be able to fight back. And that's part of the reason I want to share this story so that perhaps it'll give people some thoughts on how to approach things should they ever find themselves in the same situation. Um, So what happened was I got super stressed last April. So it's over a year ago now, super stressed. A lot of things going on. What they were really doesn't matter. What does matter is that I live in the state of New York, which has one of the most restrictive gun laws in our country. My personal opinion is that um, part of the SAFE Act, Mental Hygiene Law 9.46, is not helpful at all to people's health, individuals' health, or to population health. My personal opinion is that it is incredibly harmful, both to individuals and to population health. Um, Unfortunately, at this point, I don't have any statistics to back that up. That's just my opinion. So why would I say that? Okay, so I got really stressed out. And I said, okay, hmm, I get healthcare. I I get that people have a need to seek guidance when you find yourself in a particular spot, right? So I went for that help. I said, little overwhelming here. Let me get a little guidance on dealing with all this stuff, right? A lot of stuff, stuff related to the pandemic, stuff related to life, just a lot of stuff. And you know, Everybody has stuff in their life, right? Whether it's, you know, your parents, your friends, your kids, your job, um, you know, the community you live in. So it's sort of that community environment. There are all kinds of things. And you bring that all together and it piles up. And I think that during the pandemic, uh, all of us that care about mental health need to be keenly aware that the piling up of stuff was really high. There was a lot of stress going on for a lot of different reasons. You know, people losing jobs, people being furloughed, people being forced to work overtime and perhaps being ill-prepared for that. You know, you saw all kinds of things with the hospitals on the news and stuff. Right. Um, And so for any person, that pile of stressors is different, but what is the same is that they occur. And what is the same is that we should all feel safe in seeking help or guidance to deal with it. One one would think, right? Yeah. And that's (laughs) that's what we try to do is we try to make, you know, those of us in the mental health realm, we're constantly beaten against this uh, narrative that 
you know, that mental health is spooky or it's of the occult or there's something to be suspicious of uh, or it's woo-woo or whatever it is, right? And we're, we're constantly trying to make invitations to make it warm and welcoming and safe and, and non-judgmental. And that's, that's what they teach us how to do. Um, and you, and you believe that, right? You believe that you took advantage of it. You, you went and sought assistance for all the, 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 the stuff that was piling up. And I could personally attest that I had stuff piling up at this time last year as well. And it was not fun. So I get it. I get it. Yeah. 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 So, um, as I was introducing myself and saying who I am and all these hats that I wear, I, 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 I neglected to say um, that I'm also a person who is keenly aware of food and where it comes from. Okay. So I really enjoy, I'm not a gourmet chef, anything like that. We're not going there. Very simple person, but I grow a lot of my own vegetables. I have a a relatively large vegetable garden, depending where you're coming from. It's definitely not a farm, um, but it's enough that it, it fills the freezers in the basement and I share plenty with my friends. And, you know, when I can get the time away from work because food pantries are only open during the day when I'm working. Right. Um, you know, I donate some to the food pantries. Right. So, you know, there's that, cool. that thing, plant a row for the pantry, right. Or p- plant a row for your neighbors. Right? That's cool. So, yeah. So, so in that respect, you know, I, we have really fresh, really nice produce. Um, and we're still, you know, eating the produce from last year that's in the freezer as I have planted my garden for this year and the seedlings are just starting to come up and emerge from the soil. Um, the other part of my love of food is that my family hunts, right? So I'm a gun owner. I'm a hunter. I've been through the hunter training courses. Um, I'm not here to say whether or not I'm a, you know, how many I've, I've gotten and this and that, you know, I'm not a trophy hunter. I, I am more about this is hormone free, antibiotic free food. Right. And if we as hunters in New York state are following our department of environmental conservation, uh, regulations regarding hunting, we are also helping to control animal populations. So we are doing a service to our communities and our state. Absolutely. Okay, we, are, we are not out there as hunters, you know, tr- trying to do harm, right? People have this impression that people with guns are out to do harm and that's just not right. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's a judgment. That's, that's not a truth. Um, so yeah, so that's another piece of my life that my husband and I do hunt. It's something we do together as a family. And just as with the vegetable garden, it's something that, you know, if, if we have excess, we share with friends, with neighbors. Um, it's great. Same thing with fishing. You know, it's trout season up here. You know, my birthday's coming up and we typically, you know, hike into the backwoods with a pack and spend a weekend and, and uh, do some trout fishing, which is really peaceful and nice to be out in the wilderness on a pond or a lake with nobody but the two of us and a loon, right? It's gorgeous. So uh, where was I? Seeking help. Seeking help, (laughs) yes. So bringing that full circle, um, I sought help for this massive amount of stress that I was feeling, right? So I want to feel, we all want to feel good, right? 
you get this pile of stuff, stress on you, it doesn't feel so good. Go seek help to manage it. So what happened? So I went to talk to somebody. And at the facility that I went to talk to, I, there was a social worker, there was also a, a physician, uh, talked to both of them. And I'm going to start by saying, not helpful. I'll, I'll start with the end game, not helpful at all. But what happened while I was there, I was there just less, less than three hours, sat in a chair. This was a hospital or what, outpatient clinic? What did it, what did it look like? Uh, it was an outpatient clinic. Okay. Yeah. So, um, at least that's what I would consider it to be. It's under the umbrella of a larger facility. Perhaps. Yeah. But, I asked because three hours sounds pretty long to me. I mean, usually in my agency, somebody schedules yep. an appointment, we do an intake, it lasts about an hour and then we schedule another follow-up appointment for an hour. So yeah, no appointment walk okay. in. So it'd be more like, it would probably be more considered a crisis center. Oh yeah. It was a walk in. Yeah. We don't have those here because Nevada yeah. sucks at everything we shouldn't suck at, but, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The drop, yeah. drop in, yeah. drop in mental health, urgent care essentially. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. Um, so anyway, there was very little conversation there. There was very little um, exploration of feelings, almost none. There was very little uh, listening, right? It was pointed questions and very little, uh, what, what do I want to say? That, that sort of empathetic questioning, Compassion. listening piece yeah. that should be coming through. So what happened while I was there was essentially nothing except that the people there documented falsely in my medical record. There are actual falsehoods in my medical record. There are uh, pieces of information that they documented that were taken completely out of context. You know, I'm going to take the first half of the sentence, but not the rest of it. Right. Can, can, can you give a, a concrete example of what we're talking about here? Because part of this I know is going to end up scaring people away from mental health care and that we don't we don't need any more fear. But I, I, like I want to try to be the counterbalance and I want to know like specifically what you're you're referring to. Specifically what I'm referring to. Um, so specifically what I'm referring to and this is this is a you know, this is another piece of this story isn't done yet. It's over a year right. since this has happened. The story's not over because the pieces of information that were documented wrongly are actually under investigation by our state offices of professional conduct mm. and the state office of professional medical conduct um, as professional malpractice. Wow. Okay. Still under investigation. So I filed and they didn't say, oh no, this you don't, you don't have any grounds to say this, right? I filed and they said, whoa, give us all the documentation you have. And I did. And they're still looking into it. This is pretty serious uh, then. It is very serious. I have a federal HIPAA violation complaint under investigation currently. Because That's what happened was the, the doctor there, the physician, he was a really nice guy we had this whole conversation and, you know, I don't want to get into my, my personal medical stuff because that's really not relevant to this, but we had this whole conversation about my, my medical stuff and how the stress level might impact that. 
And um, so he said, well, you know, you see this doctor regularly. And I was like, yeah, I do. And he said, all right, well, we'll skip that part of the, the check, blah, blah, blah. Right. And I was like, okay, fine, whatever. That's not what I'm here for anyway. And so instead of documenting that, the individual documented that this piece of the exam was done and it's normal and fine. I'm like, whoa, no, 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 no. Oh, wow. <laughs> that did not happen. Nor did these other things that he documented happen. And that actually, um, that actually illustrates the, the sloppiness and the emissions that were part of document, documenting my mental health state. So I looked at the guy and I said, he says, if you thought of, you know, and you know, Jake, you have to ask people, have you, have you thought of hurting yourself for anyone else? Right. You got to right. ask them. Right. Right. I get, I get it. And I know as a nurse, you got to ask people that. Right. So in answer to that question, I looked him in the eye and I said, absolutely not. I am not having any thoughts, any plans, any intents of hurting myself for anyone else. He did not document that. Left it I, out or said that you did? Left it out. So just omitted it. Okay. That's... And said that I had vague uh, what did he call them? Vague thoughts of suicide, which is false. Right. False. Right. So anyway, so this guy had another piece of the story. There was an internal investigation at the facility. In the letter that came back to me after that investigation, that physician had no idea that a report was filed against me under mental hygiene law 9.46. So he didn't file it he didn't think it was necessary to file. Someone else did. Good to go. Drive yourself home. Go see your doctor. Right. So, um, right. So I requested all of my medical records. I requested them, not just from this facility. I requested them from any other contact I had had with healthcare recently. So I had my primary doctor, I had my gynecologist. I had been to an urgent care recently. I had, I'm trying to think who else. I don't remember. All these other places, right? And I actually called them and contacted them and said, look, this is what's going on in my life right now. These, somebody filed this false report against me saying I was suicidal or homicidal. I need to prove in court that I'm not. I need you to document in any of my interactions with you, whether or not you have ever felt that I have been suicidal or homicidal, right? And so I got that information. And, you know, some of those people, those care providers I had been in contact with as this was all going on, right? So it was very recent to that event. Um, and I requested and paid for my medical records from the facility and, and then waited for them to come. And fortunately, the social worker documented that she filed the report. Hmm. And I feel strongly in outing her because what she did was wrong. Her name is Alexandra Stark. Um, and she did document that. So now I had a name. Okay, so the way the law works in New York State, this mental hygiene law 9.46, um, a healthcare provider can report somebody that they feel is a potential you know, harm to themselves or other. And the reporting standard is mental hygiene law 9.01, which basically says 
there has to be a threat of imminent harm to self or others. Yeah, usually right? so, that's some kind of wording there, right? Like it's it's happening right now, not historical, yeah. right? So what happens here with this law is the report gets filed and it gets filed on the state office of mental health's website and goes to the state office of uh, Nick's appeals and safe act. Then it goes to the County director of community services and they look at it to go either, you know, this is a person, the person reporting is a mandatory reporter. There are four types of providers that are mandatory reporters and is a mandatory reporter. And they wrote something that indicates this person, you know, should be reported. Yeah. Usually you have to substantiate it somehow, right? You can't well, just like, I think, it, right. You got to document why you think that. Right. So it's a checkbox for the um, director of community services. I talked to the director of community services in my County. And he said, Basically, it comes to him, he checks those two things, and then he sends it off to the Department of Criminal Justice. There is no validation to the truth of the report. Wow. So this is uh, similar to a, a red flag law where it can be the, the, yes. the, the petition can be submitted to the court. The court can issue an ex parte fashion the restraining order or the, or the protection order. Uh, right. Ex parte meaning only one party has to be there, uh, not mm -hmm. necessarily the accused. So I'm I'm curious now, what was the time frame on all this from the time you were in the facility to the time that action was taken? Because in my mind, whenever we file, as I'm a mandated reporter too, and our, our mandate is to protect. It's not to punish people. It's to protect right. people from being harmed. And mm -hmm. usually it's vulnerable populations. And those vulnerable populations are classified, at least in Nevada statute, as children, the elderly, the handicapped, broadly speaking, right? Whether it's mentally or physically. Mm -hmm. And if you suspect, we're, we're time limited on that. It's it's within 24 hours, but really as, as practically possible, as soon as practically possible. Because the this supposition is that harm is about to befall someone and we need to act, right? So, mm -hmm. so this had to be imminent, right? It had to be very exigent. So what, what time frame are we talking here that you got notified or, or whatever happened? So I was notified five weeks later. Plenty of time for you to have caused harm. Plenty of time. Like, okay. So seriously, if I had been suicidal or homicidal, plenty of time for me yep. to take care of that. Yep. Right. Plenty and of time, right? So does this law, let me start with that. Does this law protect anyone from harm? Well, I would say no. Maybe. I mean, so I'm curious about the verbiage of the law. Does the verbiage of the law say that someone must act within a certain time frame no. or not? Okay, so not. <laughs> no. Because it's possible that you have a law that's you know written well, but then the, the, the system mucked it up, right? That's, that's possible. But that's not the case here. No. No. Wow. So basically, so it goes from, right, the report to the state office of mental health, to the office of Nick's Appeals and Safe Act, to the director of community services, who just checks the box, yeah. no validating the truth of it, right? And then it goes to the Department of Criminal Justice and they hit it against their databases. Now, in rereading the law this morning, it appears that they're only looking for people who have um, a firearms license, right? I would think they'd also be looking for people who have uh, registered assault weapons by New York State's definition of assault weapon, but I don't see that in the actual law itself. 
This is so sounding this is sounding more punitive than it is um, protection. Okay, so let's let's keep going on. Uh, <laughs> oh, I have, I have one quick question for you, Sandy, yeah. because I you have to obtain a license for every type of firearm in New York. Just to be clear no. for the listeners. Okay. No, and this this feeds into Jake's comment about it being punitive. Okay, so New York has these sort of. Um, I don't know if the definitions are consistent across the country or not. I, I really don't know. Um, but when they're talking about a firearms license, they are talking about uh, a handgun permit. Right. right? Okay. Right. Pistols, revolvers, that kind of thing. Um, you do not have to, in New York state, register any kind of long gun unless it meets the definition of um, an assault weapon under New York state's New York Safe Act. What, right, because you can't do any damage with a long so, gun. Okay, so, how, so let's well, think about that. Let's think about that for a minute. Let's just, just stop and think about this for a minute. Okay, I happen to own handguns, right? I, I do, right? Um, and that's why my story went as it did. Had I not had a handgun permit, I'm a hunter. I have long guns and, you know, People who understand guns and who happen to be hunters will realize that you need different implements for different types of game. Correct. And you and for different seasons and to, to comply with regulations, right? So like a surgeon isn't going to use the same kind of scalpel and sutures for every surgery, right? So <laughs> a hunter is not going to use the same kind of gun for every type of game and for every season. Yeah, you're not you, shooting birds with a 30 at six. Okay. Right. So um, had I not had a handgun, I would have been reported under the, the state law as a person who should not own guns. And I would be in a state criminal justice database so that if I ever tried to buy a gun, I wouldn't be permitted to. But no one would have ever told me. And simply possessing the long guns would have made me... Um, I'm trying to think what it is now. It's not a felony. I believe it's a class A misdemeanor. So it would have made me a criminal, but I never would have been told. So we've criminalized being sick. We have made it, this law has made it so that any gun owner who chooses to seek mental health care is at risk of having their rights rescinded without any due process, without being told who reported them, why they reported them, when they reported them, what they reported. Um, and they are now a criminal because they still possess the guns they legally owned before this report happened. Right. So so being sick makes you a criminal by, by, by virtue of your property. Whatever property you have owned, don't you ever dare get sick because then you will become a criminal. Right. So fortunately for me, I am not a criminal because when I sought care, I had um, a handgun permit in the state of New York and still have it. It's another story. It now has a scarlet letter on it. Um, so because I had that handgun permit, I was notified by the county sheriff's office and I did receive an order to show cause in the mail, which added to the stress level. Yeah, you went in there to <laughs> seek help for okay. in the first place. Right? Made it a little worse. But let's just be clear. I was still not suicidal or homicidal. It just, it right. wasn't 
part of the story, right? Um, so anyway. Hey, I got a question tangentially. What What it, is defined as an assault weapon in New York? Oh, my God. I would have to give you the link to the New York Safe Act. Um, it It's long and convoluted. Most people that I know that when the SAFE Act went into effect that owned um, a, a gun that would have met that definition, most people that I know altered them so they no longer met the definition. <laughs> wow. Okay. So they didn't even um, define it well, if, they, if it's that easy to get around it. Wow. Okay. Well, it, you know, it had to do with the capacity of magazines, whether or not the magazines were detachable, whether it has these specific features or a certain number of these features in combination. It's, you know, I, I, I wouldn't sure. want to try and state what it is because I'm sure I wouldn't get it all right. It's yeah, very... Yeah. No, that's fine. But the yeah, point is yeah. it's useless is what I'm hearing. Well, you know, I get what, what, I get what the intent was. The intent was, you know, we don't, we don't want people to be hurt. And that's the intent. But I think what the people who wrote all of this were missing was that guns in and of themselves are inanimate objects. Right? And they're not going to hurt someone unless somebody with ill intent is in possession of them. Right. Now, how do you figure out who those people are? I, I'm not the expert on that. Um, but I would say that your average law-abiding citizen is not the person you should be going after. Yeah, and certainly not with a care barrier like you just described. Oh, massive care barrier. So, so let me just state publicly, I am a healthcare professional. My master's degree is in epidemiology, which is, it's a public health thing. It's the study of population level health, okay? So I'm pretty health literate and I feel pretty strongly that people should have access to healthcare, whether it's you know, physical health, mental health, but we need to strive for a healthy population in general. And putting laws into place that create massive barriers to care for large segments of the population is not contributing to population well-being. You know, gun owners in New York State, many, many will not ever seek mental health care. I mean, it falls right into why police officers and military people won't seek mental health care. Because this law and others like it stigmatize, they perpetuate the stigma that simply seeking support for your mental health is equivalent to criminal activity. Do, let me ask you this. Do, do you know if the if there's a mandate to report uh, suspected harm to self or others or or simply to treat it? Like does that does that go into a database or are these people Let's pretend that you you actually were vaguely suicidal, as as was alleged. Um, <laughs> does that trigger sure. a report, or does that is that up to clinician discretion? Um, sort of. 
I want to say <laughs> yes and no. Yes and no. Okay. So the way mental hygiene law 9.46 reads, and it's, you know, it's available online for anybody who wants to see it. It has four, four bullets, A, B, C, and D. And I don't have them in front of me right now. But basically what it says is that you have to report anybody who you think is going to hurt themselves or somebody else, right? Layman's terms. And there are four categories of reporters, right? Physicians, uh, nurses, social workers, and like psychologists, I think, are the four. Um, And then there is a piece to it that says, if in the opinion of the clinician, the report, filing the report would increase the risk of harm, you don't have to file it. Uh. (laughs) Right? So yes, they're mandated to report, but you don't have to report if, if this other thing, right? So my thought on that is, I think that reporting does increase the risk of harm. It increases the risk of harm to individuals and population health by creating a massive barrier to seeking care. You know, do we really want to be in a place where people who own guns feel that they can't access mental health care? Do we want to be there? Yeah, I want to I want to share something here from Nevada's statute. So in uh, in our chapter 629 uh, in Nevada revised statutes, it's it's the healing arts generally chapter. There's a duty of mental health professionals concerning certain threats. And so essentially it says, um, if a patient communicates to a mental health professional explicit threat of imminent serious physical harm or death to a clearly identified or identifiable person, and in the judgment of the mental health professional, the patient has the intent and ability to carry out the threat, the mental health professional shall apply for the emergency admission of the patient to a mental health facility or make a reasonable effort to communicate the threat in a timely manner to, and then it lists some people, the person who's the subject of the threat, the law enforcement, um, or, you know, if it's, if it's a minor, then you tell the parents. Um, but the, the language there is very precise. It's clearly identified or identifiable, you know, intent and ability, imminent serious physical harm, you know, or threat, a threat of death. So it's not, it's not wishy-washy. It's a pretty high standard to meet. Um, and then we have we also have we just drafted a, a red flag law you know extreme risk protection order in this state and it went into effect in January of 2020, and that one empowers law enforcement or family members to petition a court you know a judge to enact this protection order to take weapons from the home firearm weapons not just any weapons firearm weapons, mm-hmm. and it still doesn't count uh, clinicians or physicians in there it's it's law enforcement and and uh, family members. So we are not compelled to, to do anything. Um, and if we are compelled, we're, our compulsion is to tell the people who are the subject of the threat or file for the person to get an involuntary psych hold. It's not to report right. up to the chain to dot gov, uh, to go into yep. some database. So this is very yep. unique to you, nor to, to New York, uh, you need mm-hmm. New York, unique New York, that tongue twister from our childhood. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but, I think the fear here is that when we hear stories like these, we, we think they're generally applicable to other states or regions or whatnot. And that in and of itself creates what you referred to before we started record, re- recording this was a healthcare desert, a mental healthcare desert, if you will, because there's this, um, I hate the word stigma because it's so overused. Um, so I'll just say it's a, 
it's a it's an unpalatable temperature or culture that says don't go seek help you're going to get in trouble and prejudice. trouble prejudice would be great yeah it's it's, it's a, a prejudice. prejudice it absolutely yeah. is it's a prejudicial it's a prejudicial law mm-hmm. uh, yep. or command and yep. and and interpreted incorrectly and very few of us in the healthcare profession are very good at reading laws or regulations uh, so we end up with a telephone game of of hearsay that says oh you got to report that and then we ourselves end up getting in trouble with much like I'm sure your your social worker or your doctor whoever you know called this in who pretending they didn't fudge the report let's pretend it was all um, of of charitable goodwill and good faith right and they're operating off of bad information. Well, what you did is you just you just breached confidentiality because of your own ignorance. That's a problem too because we also as professionals, we have a duty to know this stuff and know it well enough not to screw it up and end up inadvertently violating somebody's rights, breaching their privacy, causing all sorts of other turmoil and chaos in their lives all the way down to the lowest level which would be just mere stress of having it happen, right? Let's say CPS doesn't actually knock on your door and want to take your kids away or the deputies aren't there to take your firearms. Uh, just getting the notification in the mail, it's like, this is how scammers prey on people, right? <laughs> they like, you know, like, the magistrate wants you in court. You know, it's on the robocall on your phone. People are like, holy cow, I'm panicked. The government is after me. Um, so we need to get better at training ourselves and that I don't know. That, that's that's all sinister stuff aside. That's just presuming innocence along the way. Um, but that's not what it sounds like here. It sounds like somebody definitely overreached. Well, you know, it, it's interesting because you know when I when I did get my medical record from that day and I read it, the person who did file this false report against me quoted me in quotes in my record. I am not going to kill myself. In quotes. Hmm. And then filed a report saying I was a danger to myself. That doesn't add up. Well, one of those is a false report. And that is the basis of my professional misconduct complaint. Yeah. That one of them is a, is a false report. And filing a false report is professional misconduct yep. in our state. I don't know what it is in other states, but in our state it is. So, yeah. So what did this do? You know, this creates... It creates an atmosphere of distrust of healthcare providers and of mental health. And it's something we don't want. I mean, that's, that's the truth of what's happening. Okay. That is the fact because this is going on. People do not trust the system to seek mental health care. Yeah. And and that's not a place we want to be. No, go ahead, Mike. I have a question. Can she, the person who, you know, they quoted you and then the person reported you, could that person say, look, I know she said she was okay, but I could see it. Right. Like, could it it be one of those types of defenses? Like I still wasn't very comfortable with her answer. Not, not, not from my perspective. And, mm-hmm. and I'll tell you, this is like, if the listening audience doesn't know, I chaired my licensing board here in Nevada for a couple of years and I have investigated complaints and I've seen this stuff come through complaints against licensees, right? That's the whole point of a licensing board or a, a professional, um, regulatory body. And most people who do things professionally from contractors to hairstylists, to manicurists, to, um, plumbers and pipe fitters to like, there's, there's a, there's a regulatory 
body in place to assure mm-hmm. what we would refer to as minimal competence, right? You're, the state has given you a stamp of approval that says you're minimally qualified to do whatever it is you do. And it's under the auspices of protecting the public. We don't want people to get hurt by malevolent actors or charlatans misrepresenting themselves. So if you're going to call yourself a certain thing, if you're going to call yourself a marriage and family therapist or a nurse or a physician, you have to have the state give the the check mark. And the state has got this forward-facing representation of the public says, we vetted these people and found them to be minimally competent. Now, unfortunately, there's no maximally competent. That's up to ethic. Uh, If you want to be super good at your job, you train extra than the person who's minimally competent. But the bottom line is the state has assured everybody minimal competence. Along with that minimal competence is an adherence to rules and ethics. One of those ethics, at least in New York, is explicitly stated, thou shalt not file false reports. Um, Mm -hmm. In Nevada, it would be under professional conduct somewhere else in our our rules or our ethics. Um, But the fallback is that we can, as recipients of this care, as consumers of the care, we can file a licensing board complaint against the license holder. So if that's a contractor who um, screwed up your backyard, you know, redesign and there's water leaking from your your fountain or whatever, um, you you can seek civil damages for sure, but you can also seek administrative penalties against the license. So if the if they're found to be incompetent or they're found to be neglectful or what have you, they violated some sort of professional ethic, the licensing board then can say, hey, you know, poo-poo on you, you did the wrong thing, and they can assign extra training or they can suspend your license or they can they can terminate and revoke your license. And then ostensibly you're not allowed to practice anymore. It doesn't mean that people can't find loopholes and call themselves something else and do it on the side, but at least they won't have the state stamp, right? So so the encouragement here is that there is a path to remedy for the for the casual recipient of this care. The problem is a lot of people are so intimidated by that process because it requ- it's, it's tantamount to a criminal complaint. You have to put ink to paper, sign your name. There's no anonymous complaining um, and, and go forward with it. Now, so all that being said to Mike's question, we don't get to violate somebody's confidentiality because that's, that's really the edge that we stand on as healthcare professionals. Do you act to protect and break confidentiality or do you preserve confidentiality believing that protection is not necessary in that, in that instance? So whether it's a, a call for service to the authorities to do a well-person check, well check or it's a call to Division of Family Services to check on the kids – at some point or another, we have to we have to break confidentiality to file that report. Otherwise, it just stays in my four walls of my office. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't get to do that just because something smells bad or feels bad. I have to articulate it. I have to articulate that break of confidentiality. And so, to, in Sandy's case, the it doesn't matter what kind of icky feeling the the practitioner got if that practitioner cannot put to paper the reasons why then there is no reason to break confidentiality. And that's essentially what we're talking about here. And then there are remedies to that should the courts and you know licensing boards and whatnot find fault. And that's that's where you're that's where you are right now. And that can level all the way up to federal penalties. It's not just it's not just yep. limited to administration, right? If you really do harm and we can you know we can seek damages through civil action through the courts too. Well interestingly um in calling a couple of law firms, nobody was interested in uh, taking any suits. So I am doing this. I, I did have a lawyer to go to my court hearing. I did not have a lawyer to file the malpractice complaints or the federal HIPAA violation complaint. Um, mm. But anyway, so 
I did receive the order to show cause five weeks after I had sought care. So I live in a house <laughs> where guns exist. It's part of our lives. You know, my husband happens to be a retired, you know, Army National Guard guy. He has been in service for years. He's also a hunter. It's just, it's part of our lives. It's normal. And it's a letter you got. You got a letter. I got a letter. No phone call, no explanation. I I did get a phone call. And based on that phone call, I was like, I don't know who you are, right? You're telling me you're this person from this place. I'm like, I don't know who you are. I'm not telling you anything. And and he's like, well, I'm so-and-so from the sheriff's department. You need to turn over your guns, blah, 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 blah. And and, um, ones that are registered that he knows about, right? I mean, well, yes. And the letter basically said, and any other guns that you own, right? Um, So... Uh, anyway, uh, talking to somebody on the phone, I, I don't know who you are. I'm, I'm not going to, I don't know. You're not a scammer. Well, that happens all the time. Right? And I'll, and I'll so, point that out too, if, if I may jump in here. So we've had a rash of, of scam attempts perpetrated upon clinicians where people claim they're from the sheriff's office. They spoof an actual sheriff's office phone number or police department phone number. It says, you know, it's like here in Nevada in Reno, it's, all the city numbers start with the prefix three three four, and so you they'll spoof a number. It's like three three four two one seven five. It's like and if you're on the phone and you're rapidly googling to see what it is, like oh yeah, Reno Police Department, okay, um, and they'll say things like, "I'm I'm Lieutenant so and so. I'm here to," and they'll they'll actually pull an actual name off the the website even. Um, and they'll say, you need to come down here right away. You're in violation of a court order for one of your, your clients. And we'll say, which one? I can't tell you. You just need to get down here right now or you're going to be in big, big trouble. You're going to be in contempt of court. And so this has happened to multiple of my colleagues right here at Zephyr Wellness as well as across the community. And we don't know what they're trying to do. If they're doing, trying to do robberies where they you know get you out of your home so they can go break in or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's actually happening. So if you're a clinician listening to this and you hear that come across, just know, please, like I don't know any law enforcement professional who would do that by phone. They do it by letter first. And mm-hmm. I don't care how many times they've said that they, you know, they've e- mailed you or whatever. Tell them to come to your doorstep and while and and then hang up the phone and then immediately call the authorities. And chances are they'll never come to your doorstep because you called them on their bluff. Um, but it's, right. it can be very, very scary. So that is, that is legitimate. So what you're experiencing there, you were right to not listen to that, even though, even right, though it probably right. was an so actual I, deputy. So I just basically said, I'm going to call my lawyer and wait for that letter to come in the mail. That's awesome. Um, and it, it did. I don't think they were very pleased that I waited for the letter to come in the mail, but um, yeah. So then I had to arrange to comply uh, with them. And yeah, so that, that was interesting. I won't get into the details of that, but to make a long story short, I think that I had a sympathetic ear, um, in understanding that this was wrong. This was very wrong. So anyway, I got all my records together, all my medical records. And now we already know that there was a breach of confidentiality that my medical information, my private protected information was released to the state offices, the um, director of community services at the county level. It was released to the Department of Criminal Justice, right? My private health information was released without my consent to a myriad of places. And 
basically released based on false information, which we know to be true. Because when I went to court with this pile of stuff and my lawyer, which cost me thousands of dollars, the judge came back with the order to show cause, you know, it, you know, I, I think the hearing was something like the 16th or 17th of July. And then there were the, um, the, uh, the ruling came to me, I don't know, maybe the 20th it was written, but basically came back with, you know, the court has broad discretion as to when to revoke you know, a pistol permit, a handgun permit. And as long as the filing is not arbitrary, capricious, or an abuse of discretion, those are the exact words, arbitrary, capricious, or an abuse of discretion, the report is entitled to deference. And blah, 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 there was a whole bunch of other stuff in the paper. And at the end, it said, and, you know, as a result, my permit is reinstated effective immediately. So basically the court ruled that the report was arbitrary, capricious, or an abuse of discretion. Now, why did she file the report? I don't know. The state really wants clinicians to file. It's written into the law that the person who is reported can never see the report. <laughs> they hide. They hide wow. from the reported who reported you. The only reason I know is because I had the the healthcare literacy to say, I'm getting my records. Yeah, but that still doesn't entitle you to the report. The report is uh, an administrative filing. That's property of the state. It's not your records. All you can see is your records, not necessarily the paper that was sent up, which is, that's really sinister. That's, it's scary, wow. Yeah, right? It it's scary. You're not allowed, as a person reported, you are not allowed to see the report. They want to shield the people who are filing the reports because this, in my opinion, the state wants to encourage reporting because it wants to take away guns, legally owned guns. This does nothing, nothing at all about illegal guns. Yeah. Wow. And it, it does nothing it, at all. It, it doesn't help it anybody either. It doesn't have anything to do with actually saving lives or preventing harm because of the time delay. No. No. Be well, because of the time delay, and that's one aspect, but also because it only targets people who are in the database as having a firearms permit, which is only people who have a pistol, revolver, or handgun of some kind. Right. And it doesn't, it doesn't. They didn't take to, cleaning supplies or they didn't say you have to turn those in. They didn't say no. your pool. <laughs> no. No, right. So in my house, I, I started to say this before. I don't. I don't think I finished. But I have, I have kitchen knives. You know, I already said I like food, right? I have kitchen knives. We go hunting. We actually process our own game. Okay, so I have the equipment to take care of that in my house, which are you know implements that could cause harm. We have chainsaws. We have pole saws. We have all manner of other power tools and equipment sitting in the garage, right? We have all kinds of stuff for the garden, right? Those could be harmful too, right? We have automobiles. If I had truly been a risk of harm to myself or someone else, an imminent risk of harm, my access to all of those things should have been immediately withheld. Well, and the way you do that is you involuntarily hold somebody on a psychiatric Cor hold. That's how you, that's how you, you make an environmental adjustment to their world. You say, we're, we're removing you and putting you in a safe space. Not like 
eliminating all the possibilities of harm. What are they going to make you fence off your top story too? You know, like, right. <laughs> well, what, wow. you know, what they want the people to think about this particular law though, is that it's protecting people from harm. It's not because if somebody is really an imminent risk of harm to themselves or others, they should be removed from the environment in general, because there are so many things around us that can be used to harm. Taking away guns isn't going to do anything for somebody who is intent on hurting themselves or somebody else. Yeah, not, not, uh, and again, I'll go back to the time delay because a lot of what we do here at this organization, we talk about time and space in a moment of crisis. You know, so mm -hmm. removing mm -hmm. guns in a moment of crisis absolutely can save lives. Removing them five weeks after the notification, uh, apparently permanently, is useless. Um, not to mention a complete violation of rights and property rights and due process and lots of things. Um, it's just it's just pointless, I, you know. And I could go back and I, you know, I've had my hand in making some policy in the past, and and I could see why they would want to shield the person who writes the report, right? But let's let's really dig deep and analyze why that's even necessary, unless you think the person filing the report is what fill in the blank there. What what could possibly happen to that person if their uh, written statement is revealed to the to the accused or the you know the, the whatever right. the accused what, what, you, know, what, you get you get, right. you get mad at them right so so the the I all I all I'm left to conclude here is <laughs> we can't possibly have this exposed because the dangerous gun owner could go back and retaliate against the person who filed the report. Well, we already know who filed the report anyway. You just don't know the contents of it. Well, but consider the person I know who filed because, because I received an order to show cause because I have a handgun permit. Now consider, you yeah, know, Joe true. Hunter who doesn't have a handgun and three years ago, went to talk to somebody about some sort of mental health concern, right? Yeah. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go with, with three very sort of benign, in my opinion, ones, you know, a little bit of, a little bit of stress going on, maybe some relationship issues, maybe some anxiety, depression. Sure. I mean, those are pretty common Pre things. Pre-marriage counseling. Right, right. And say that person in their judgment decides to file a report. If that, that Joe Hunter has long guns but doesn't have a handgun permit, he will never know right. until, until he, he goes, goes to buy right. a firearm right. years later. And then how do you backtrack to figure it out and hold that person accountable? We had that happen with uh, somebody that contacted our website. And that's how we first found out about the New York Safe Act not being so safe. Like we had that exact same scenario. Kid was in a bad relate or a good relationship, was madly in love with his girlfriend, was like 22 years old. They broke up. He never hurt her. She didn't hurt him, but he he was distraught and he did some things that young people do. He started cutting his arms, right? Mm -hmm. And he said, I gotta like stop this now. So I'm gonna go forward and get some help. And he went to get help and then didn't think anything of it, did have hunting rifles, but you know. They weren't registered and then later went to buy a purchase a handgun like four years later and found out that he couldn't because of the event back in the day. So it happens. Right. right. Well, he wouldn't have been able to purchase a new hunting rifle either. Right. What's yeah, amazing right. to me. So I, I got to say, though, I got to tell you, 
I tested it, right? Because the system in New York is, is it, it, it's very secretive. It's the only word I can come up with for it, right? Where this information goes, who holds it, where it sits, you know, how to access, very secretive. So I was like, all right, I had no idea if they put me into the federal NIC system. I had no idea if after the court ruling, they had fixed my, now I have a record in the Department right. of Criminal Justice right. System, right? Which I never had before. Um, I didn't know if they had fixed that. So I was like, I had no way to find out. So I tested it. And for Christmas, I bought a new 22. And I was able to purchase that. But I had to stand at the store and wait because it took a very long time for the background check to clear. Doesn't normally take that long. So there is still a remnant of this in the database as a, as a record. I am concerned for my profession that we can be compelled to generate these reports to go into some repository um, by people who don't understand the profession, who may in their heart of hearts believe they're doing the right thing. Maybe there is no pernicious intent. Um, but then we're, we're going to suffer some moral injury. And for those of you who don't know what moral injury is, it's when you have different competing ethical um, belief systems colliding. And so one would be the ethic of just treating the person, right? I'm confident in my skill set. I don't need to, I don't need to report. Ooh, but the law says I have to. Um, mm -hmm. And I know now, after having this conversation, that it causes harm. So there's another ethical precept of, you know, do no harm non-maleficence. I don't know that it's beneficial, which is another ethical precept, the, the concept of helping people. I don't know that it's beneficial to do something like this. Um, I, I can't see the benefit. I can see political gain. I can see mm -hmm. power and control, but I don't see patient benefit. So I don't know how this, I don't know how we stop this other than by, you know, personal testimony, if it ever, you know, comes to the doorstep, but, uh, you know, change, change the law, change the law, vote enough people in that change it to the, to the way that you want it to be. Um, you know, we still, we still live in a constitutional Republic, which is nice. Uh, and we can, we can do whatever we want with laws, but it is frightening because as you, as we kicked off this conversation, we said it's a, it's a barrier to care when people perceive mm -hmm. the clinicians as untrustworthy. And we've had a lot of untrustworthiness from public health officials over the last year enough as it is. Um, we don't need it on an individual level now. Uh, that's that's gonna be problematic. Well, you know, and I, I think it's it speaks volumes that I am a registered nurse and I have been for decades. And I work in public health, right? I, I That is my thing. And I'm telling you that because of this law, I no longer trust the mental health care system in the state of New York. Right. I think that speaks volumes. It is a mental health care desert in New York state for anyone who owns a gun of any kind. Whether it's just, you know, your average hunters, you know, sportsmen, target shooters, whether it's law enforcement, whether it's your military people, anyone. It is not a safe environment. It is not a supportive environment for taking care of our mental health. 
And it's because of this law. Now, I, I'm going to also jump in. I see, Mike, you have something to say. Hang on one sec. No, I'm also going to jump in and say, you know, Jake, if people don't understand what moral injury is, I would suggest that they go online and look up Z-Dog moral injury. Have you ever seen that? It's oh, Zubin Devania is great. He's one of my current personal yeah. heroes. Yep. 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 He's middle. got a nice, nice video about it. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, I get it. It, 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 this kind of law injures the healthcare professionals. It injures the population. Um, not just the population who owns guns, but the entire population, because when you hurt one part of the population, it impacts everybody. Yeah. There's a ripple effect. There really is. And, and that's not what we want. We want people to be healthy. We want people to be comfortable seeking care. We want clinicians to feel good about what they're doing. We don't want them to feel as if they are the arm of big brother that is trying to disarm the population. And quite frankly, in my opinion, that's what mental health law 9.46 is about. And if you go to the New York state um, psychiatric association website, which is the association of psychiatrists in the state of New York, uh, and you peruse their website, you will see that they feel the same way, that this law, they say on their website, this law is not about protection from harm. It is about taking away guns. That's my synopsis of it. It's not their exact words. Right. That was Mental Health America's stance on it as well when I brought it to their attention saying this doesn't seem so right. Um, there's a lot of irony in in this for me because growing up in New Jersey, having so many friends from New York and having so many arguments with them that they are the most forward thinking people on the planet. Like New Yorkers tend to say like, we're so more advanced than the rest of the country in the South. And you know what I mean? And, and it's really, they're going backwards when it comes to this. Um, at any time, were you encouraged to get help after they made this diagnosis about you or there was nothing like that? Like, was there any encouragement? You see what I'm saying? To go talk to somebody to follow up. Yeah, like they say, like, yeah, yeah what's the intervention? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, they did suggest that. And I took care of that on my own. Nothing to do with them. They, these people were not helpful at all. They were the direct opposite. They were harmful. Going to seek care there was harmful. It was not helpful. Um, the person I did end up talking to, and of course shared this entire story with, um, basically said, wow, that was a complete misapplication of this law. Yeah. It's supposed to restrict dangerously mental ill and criminals from possessing firearms. Neither of which was a category that I fell into. But the state encourages people by this law, the state is trying to encourage clinicians to report people to take away legally owned guns, does nothing about illegal weapons. And in my opinion, the illegal weapons are the problem. Well, yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but let's, but it, let's but... take let's take the effort and go after those instead of the law abiding citizens. But it just for me, it I don't again another term I don't really like because it's overused and people misapply it. But it invites a slippery slope to other, uh, put it in air quotes, encouraged actions on behalf of the state. Um, we just the CDC just relaxed the mask guidelines, and thank God the state of Nevada, and I can't speak for other states, the state of Nevada 
just a week earlier changed its uh, mask guidelines to um, to to reflect the CDC's guidance. Well, a week later, the CDC pivots and no more masks. Right. Well, until then, since June of last year, the state was leveraging businesses to enforce the mask mandate. And if we didn't, we'll be it to us because they categorized it under an occupational safety hazard not to have masks in businesses. So they got OSHA to enforce this law upon us and they leveraged our business licenses for it. And fines came if we weren't policing our own patrons. And that's dirty, uh, It's it, especially because I didn't sign on for that as a business owner. I didn't sign on for arbitrary, unilaterally created laws by one individual without the process of law and policy. Um, it was our governor just decided that we were going to have this law and the, the businesses would enforce it on his behalf. That's that's revolting to me. It's, it's repulsive. And now what you've got in New York with the SAFE Act here is the state saying, hey, clinicians, you're going to do our dirty work. And if you don't, We'll take your license and your ability to practice. Well, now let's let's really think this through. Who does that harm? The very citizens to whom the government is supposed to be responsive. Because when I mentioned the ripple effect earlier of you know unhealthy people being you know functioning in society without help, um, that's why we need healthcare, right? So so we know that the unhealthy people aren't also failing to attend to other responsibilities like childcare and occupation and academics and all these things that matter to the rest of the world. So we provide them healthcare. Well, if they don't trust in receiving that healthcare because they think the practitioners are going to rat them out, uh, turn them in, or otherwise restrict what they do, well, guess what's not going to happen? We're not going to have healed people. We're going to have un unhealthy people running around. And and it starts with guns. And this is where I get into the slippery slope thing. It starts with guns. It's masks. And masks was an administrative law, temporary, under an emergency authority, allegedly. But emergencies <laughs> can go in perpetuity, apparently. Uh, so that's another law that needs to be changed. But then maybe it goes to um, child abuse and neglect. Let's say that uh, there's, you know, somebody in some administrative position gets a, a real hair up their nose for, uh, you know, protecting, and I'll put that in air quotes too, protecting children and say, all right, well, now you're mandated to report um, if you, if children are left unattended at a park under the age of 16. You're like, well, hold on now. What are we, what are we doing here? Um, it, it, it puts more pressure onto the practitioners. It offloads the authority that has been given to the rule makers and they get to kind of do an ollie ollie oxen free. And, and I don't know where all this goes. Uh, but, but it's, it's frightening that unelected people can create this kind of thing and then, and then have the, the citizens yeah. do the enforcement. That's yeah. it's well, really dirty. It, you know, as I understand it, that this, this particular law in New York state was put together very rapidly on the heels of the Sandy Hook shooting, right? Yeah. In 2000, December, 2012, I believe, which is, you know, that was a terrible thing, right? It was a very awful thing. Um, but this was put together without the right parties at the table. Yeah, same it was with put together law. with people who were culturally ignorant of the topic about which they were writing law. So, it was, it, it's a law that just has so many flaws in it 
then in my opinion, it doesn't make the state safer. It makes it less safe. Well, it's discriminatory it's, too. It's discriminatory. It, you know, it, it perpetuates, you know, those prejudices. Um, it's, it just doesn't do what it set out to do. It doesn't protect people. It doesn't protect citizens. It think, causes them harm. It probably does the opposite, actually. Yeah. Yeah, it's it cool. does. So how do we get how do we get rid of it? I don't know. Well, they, I'm, that's kind of what I'm about to ask here. Uh, you know, you, you kind of stated, hey, look, I have the bandwidth. I have the resources. Um, I, you know, I know the system, right? You're familiar with the system being a nurse. Mm-hmm. Um, you're out there telling your story, I guess, to a couple of different places, right? You got in touch to us through Mental Health America. Have you, have you run into any people that have had a similar situation where you've spoken or are you just on an island here? Um, one person so far, one person contacted me. Um, so my story is available in, it's called the scope newsletter shooters committee on political education. Uh, they have a a website and their, their January, February newsletter issue does have a short version of my story. There's also another version of my story, um, online. That's a little bit longer. Um, and I put that out there because I think it's important to tell the story. What happens when you seek mental health care in New York state? What happens? You know, this is, this is the risk that you run, you know, loss of rights with no due process, no transparency, no accountability. And it's going to cost you money, time, energy, emotional bandwidth to have your rights reinstated. And it all happens because you sought care. And that's inherently wrong. Well, it's it's not a very large leap to go from registered handguns to registered long guns either. And Well, right. And, but in New York State, we don't have to register them unless they fall under that assault yet. weapons. Yet. Yes, correct. So, so if people are out there like, well, you know, I'm, I'm sort of equivalent on the, uh, on the gun thing. I, I guess you could, you could, you could own a rifle for hunting deer and you can own a shotgun for shooting birds, but, but really we just, nobody needs a handgun and nobody needs an AR. Nobody, right. So if let's say you're in that camp, okay, now, now extend it. Mm-hmm. You know, you're taking away people's ability to shoot, shoot animals for, for, you know, to stay alive, uh, and to feed themselves, taking away hobbies, taking away stress relievers, um, all, all the good, the quote unquote good reasons for having guns, right. That, that some of these, uh, that these people that are in the middle on this issue. Um, but, but here's where I want to tie it all together. We do, we we're trying to bridge the gap between guns and mental health. And we've, we've got some, it's getting better, but we've got some friction from some gun owners in the gun community who are like mental health. Oh, why should I care about that? Okay. Here's why. Right here. This is this is literally why, because it's a backdoor to rights restriction. This is why you need to speak up and get active. When you hear about new mental health laws that have to do with reporting, this is why. Because what's the next step to, uh, to to restriction? Maybe it's not mental health. Okay, I'm just not going to go to the therapist anymore. I'll solve my problems on my own. What about physical health? Right. Why Why can't we just do the the Safe Act for people who uh, you know? have some sort of physiological ailment and are deemed unfit to carry firearms. 
Right. So you have heart disease, right? You might get sure. angina when you're out hunting or, you know, you're, you're hiking miles into the woods in pursuit of game. Right. And so you have heart disease. What's to say, okay, you're no longer fit. Bacterial to... infections and UTIs will give you psychosis. <laughs> there you go. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm serious like that. We have, we have people present with psychosis all the time. And it's like, what's going on here? Oh, yep. treat the UTI. Uh, psychosis yep. goes away. Like there's all sorts of physiological elements. Uh, you know, bad fingers. You go, oh, you can't shoot straight anymore because you broke your hand. Arthritis, right? You arthritis. have arthritis. Sure. You can't shoot anymore. <laughs> yeah. That, that, this I'm is laughing, really pernicious. Right. It, it, could it go there? Sure. It could. And that's, that's scary, right? Wait, if someone were... Like if you're sitting on the subway or something and someone from New York says, you know, I, I'm a firearms owner and I'm thinking about talking to somebody, I assume that you'd be like, don't do that. What what advice would you give to somebody that? You know, uh, what advice would I give to somebody that if you recognize that you need help, that's a good thing. But in the state of New York, if you choose to seek help, you run the risk of having your rights rescinded, of having your protected health information released, of having no due process, uh, you know, all of these things. So I would say, go somewhere else. Go to another state. Go to another state, something. Um, it is, because of this law, it is not safe to seek mental health care in this state. If you value your rights, your personhood. Nationally. And your privacy. I was going to say nationally, we know that uh, this was 2017 data. And these data suggest from a Pew Research poll that 42% of Americans either own a firearm or live with somebody who does. I got to believe that's north of 50% now. Um. But what is it in New York, would you suspect? Is it smaller or about the same? Because New York's pretty pretty rural in certain areas, too. But I also know that most of the population is city dwellers. Yeah, New York is a really interesting state. I, I've lived here for uh, roughly 20 years now. And funny thing, Mike, I used to live in New Jersey. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so upstate New York, what they refer to as upstate is basically not the city, um, is mostly rural. and it's very, very different culture from what they call downstate, which is towards the city and the surrounding area, right? Um, of course, the population density is all in the city and you know, looking at politics and voting, it's, it's a heavier voting block. Right. You know, there's, more, there's more people. Um, I, I don't know that I could guess at the number, but what I would say is that upstate New York, there are a lot of people with guns because it's part of the lifestyle. Right. Yeah, it is. Um, it's just it's part of their culture. And, you know, guns can carry value. They carry family memories. You know, a, a gun that's been in a family for four generations and is well over 100 years old. It's not just monetary value. There's there's family stories that go with that. Well, and, it's, and, it's, I mean, New, the eastern seaboard is very old, too. It's the oldest part of our country. I mean. And if you think about like the, the freaking NRA was founded in New York. <laughs> so mm -hmm. like there's this, there's history there. Right. And, and where I'm going with this question is about the percentages and so forth is that if it gets out, your story gets traction, people start hearing it and rumors spread as rumors are wont to do. 
do we run the risk of putting the therapist out of business? And probably not in the city, but should they Upstate. shouldn't shouldn't the shouldn't the professional associations be a little alarmed at yes. this? I would I, think so, unless the professional associations are completely anti-gun and they're totally on board with this whole idea, which is possible. So, so, so here, all puns intended. Ready? I think that the professional associations should be up in arms about this. They should pull the trigger on they, opposing it. They really should. They and should I take that, aim at taking this is, law down. That's it. I love it. And, <laughs> and, you know, I think that that's probably what would be very effective at, at having this undone. It's the only right? way. It's the only way. Be, because I, I honestly don't think that they understand how they are being used by the government right now. I don't think they understand the implications of what they're doing. Unless they do and they are complicit, right? Which I know my profession and a lot of us are pretty anti-gun. Um, so it's possible that they just go, meh, less guns the better. Um, but that's, 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 mm, you know, I take issue with that as a professional and as a, as a citizen that owns guns, I take issue with that because that introduces personal bias into the care that is being rendered. Oh, I'm not saying it's not right. <laughs> I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying it's out there. Um, it, it's, yeah. and there is bias and that is part of what has been reported to me many, many, many times from my own patients and the people who come through our, our agency here who have said, I had a terrible experience with fill in the blank uh, when I shared my prof my profession as as a cop, and they went, "Do you own guns?" You know, it was very snarky and condescending. Mm -hmm. uh, or they admit that they're you know retired from the military and they love shooting in the desert, and it's like, "Are your kids safe?" You know, it's super judgmental, mm -hmm. and then they never come back. So I know that exists, and that's why I'm I'm suspicious that maybe maybe the profession as a whole just doesn't care, or maybe the associations are like, meh. It kind of aligns with our with our ideology. It's like no, you're not allowed to have an ideology when it comes to patient care. Mm -hmm. You just aren't. Um, but they do uh, for whatever reason. And so, uh, back to the original point, I think you know if if people start losing clientele to you know to over the border, you know to, to wherever they're going, Canada or you know uh, New Jersey or Pennsylvania, like mm -hmm. maybe maybe that'll get somebody's attention. But it sounds like right now it's not it's not in large enough volume to track, especially these days when demand is through the roof and providers are largely deficient across the, the country, certainly in our state. Um, well, I think it's really hard to track too, because you're talking about um, healthcare records. Right. Well, and you're trying, you're also talking about who doesn't come in. It's like trying to pull, prove the null, you know, right. like, right. Uh, right. Yeah. Have you had any organizations like, you know, I know that you, 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 some, I don't even know the, the background behind it, but somehow you got through to Mental Health America. Have they mm -hmm. given you any feedback or did they just say, hey, don't walk to talk America? Like these guys are right up your alley. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They pretty much just, you know, referred me over your way. Basically, I came to them with, you know, this is my story. I really feel strongly that the story needs to be shared because this shouldn't have happened to me and it shouldn't happen to anyone. People should feel safe seeking care, any kind of care physical health care, mental health care, whatever. Um, and I felt that it really needs to be shared because that is not the case in New York State. And it's not the case because of the law. And the law was put into effect very quickly, literally overnight, without allowing the legislators to have it on their desk for the three days that normally happens. This was, you know, one of those 
executive emergency power thing, right? This needed Mm. to happen immediately. And as a result, we have a law that is causing harm. Um, So anyway, felt the story needed to be shared because I think it illustrates what's happening. I am interested to have you back because I don't want to give a teaser for this. You're digging up some data on how many of these reports have been filed, how many have been followed up, how many have resulted in, you know, whatever they result in. And I, I'm, I'm curious about the number of the, of what you have. You have two numbers right now. Would you mind sharing those with me? I know we're not gonna, we're just teasing it out that this is coming, right? You're working on this thing. Um, sure. I'll do that, would you? I am. Um, I can, I can give you the ballpark numbers cause I, I don't have it up on my screen in front of me at the moment, but since 2013, when this law went into effect through April 1st of 2021, there are over 170,000 of these reports that have been filed. And that encompasses over 116,000 people. So sometimes a, a person has been reported more than once, apparently. Um, I got those numbers from the New York State Office of Mental Health through a FOIL request. Um, And I also have some other requests out. So interestingly enough, to really understand the the effect of this law on the citizens of New York, information has to be pulled from multiple places because it isn't all in one place. So the Office of Mental Health has the reports, apparently. It took me a while to get somebody to open up and and acknowledge that. Um, But they don't have the outcomes of those reports. All right. So sitting in the office of mental health is the report against me, but they have no idea that it was a false report. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or that okay. any lives were saved or anything like that. I oh, just, no, there's, there's nothing that's been released about lives saved. Nothing. I just ran the, the calculator real quick. Uh, so we took 116,000 individuals, not reports, but mm-hmm. individuals. Mm-hmm. I divided by eight years, give or take. And we got uh, 14,500 individuals per year. Divided by 365 is just short of 40 people per day that are being put into the database. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, That's and should they be there? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, we, we don't know, you know, because the state has not released anything that I'm aware of that that gives us any information about the impact of this law. Well, yeah. And you only know if you're if you're notified and you're and, and if you get notified, you got some options like do I just comply because it's dot gov chasing me down? Or do mm-hmm. I stand and fight like you did uh, because mm-hmm. you, you're like, well, no, this is wrong. Not only is it wrong, it was false. Um, Correct. So uh, how many of those people yes. are even, first of all, aware? Secondly, uh, declaring it to be false, you know? Um, right. Wow. You know, and fun fact, Jake, that we didn't, we didn't touch on, we talked about a little bit before, um, is that I actually had to, well, didn't have to, I actually chose to... Um, to tell my employer because I was going to present uh, an informational presentation to the facility where this happened about my experience and about the law. Hmm. And basically it was pulling together publicly available information, you know, website links, different things like this, integrating some information about lifestyle, right? Um, that gun culture is not necessarily bad that it's actually can be healthy to be hiking in the woods and the wilderness, experiencing uh, time with family and friends and sharing. Right. Um, 
and then pulling it together with my experience and what happened to me. And that presentation didn't happen because they released my employer on it. Uh, my employer is going to remain unnamed here. Um, I had asked them not to, and it was an oversight. They'd released that. So I had to pull down uh, the presentation, take some time, and I may go back and present it later. But I had to let my employer know that that um, had been released, you know, that this had been released with my employer on it. And they put it through their chain of command and gave me some headaches about it. And I basically had to tell them, look, you're telling me that either you guys have to approve this presentation, even though it has nothing to do with my work, or I can't do it. And I said, you're basically giving me the decision of, do I want my job or do I want to do what's right here? And I told them that's an easy choice for me. I would do what's right every time. I was willing to give up my job to get this information out. Strong statement. Yeah. Courageous. Well, I, I don't look at it as courageous. I look at it as it's the right thing to do. Well, a lot of people do, though, because it's, it, it's a sacrifice. You know, and and a lot and a lot hinges on a sacrifice, and um, you know, again, we're talking, you know, not everybody's in a position to be able to do that kind of thing, and um, some people get cowed into compliance simply because mm -hmm. of that leverage, and so you know, I, I I think it's courageous. You you may not see it that way, but I I think on behalf of others who aren't necessarily in the position to be able to do that, I, I think that's that's courage. You know, you're facing a potential threat, and you stood up to it. So bravo. Yeah. Besides this platform that, that we're giving you here, and we're going to have you back on because there's a part two, um, what can we do to help you? And have you thought of any other ways or maybe in the future, just keep it in mind that if we need to be pulled into something, then it's something that I'd be willing to do. You know, I, I hadn't thought that about that beyond saying that, you know, I really appreciate you giving me a platform to share my story, to help other people understand what's happening in New York State. Um, you know, if this can happen to me, it can happen to anybody. Anybody, anywhere in the state. So really, you know, what my stressors are doesn't really matter. Why I sought care doesn't really matter. Where I went doesn't really matter. What matters is we have a law on the books that is encouraging providers to file reports that are harmful to individuals and population level health. These reports don't protect people from harm because they're focused on one instrument of potential harm, not the breadth of them that are available, right? Yeah. And they're not removing even that implement of potential harm in a timely manner. So, Right. So what can you do to help, you know, spread the word, spread the word. And I think among citizens that it's okay, it's okay to seek mental health care. It's, you just have to be very cautious how you go about it in New York state. You have to be careful where you go. You have to be careful what you say, you have to be guarded. And I think also, you know, that's from the citizen perspective. I think also from the healthcare provider's perspective, we need to inform them that it is not, it, you, you can't just trust that the law is acting in the best interest of the well being of people. Yeah. 
you know, the law is asking you to do something that may in fact be harmful. And, and, you know, what can you as a healthcare provider or as a group of healthcare providers through your professional associations do about that? It's good. You know? Yeah. It's just wise words. It's a, it's, it's a good encouragement to be aware of, mm -hmm. uh, not falling into the rote routine of just doing what you're told. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Think, think, use your, use your brain, right? Think, ask questions, think about what are, you know, the downstream consequences of your actions, you know, and accept that not all people have the same lifestyle, the same hobbies, the same interests as you do. And, and that that's okay. Yep. Yeah. And don't be afraid of it. Don't act out of fear, right? Don't act out of Correct. fear of your own ignorance or caused by your own ignorance. Right. Because our media does, it does play up, um, you know, mass shootings. It does play up uh, negativity surrounding guns and anything related to them. And, you know, I get it. They do that because it gets ratings. Mm -hmm. It gets people watching the news. But it really portrays a very skewed perspective of people who own guns. Sure. Yeah. The few people who end up in those news stories, they're, they're probably bad actors, you know, and they're probably the minority. You know, it's like that, uh, those, those bumper stickers that say 130 million gun owners didn't do anything today. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, we sure appreciate your time, Sandy. Um, Mike, you want to ask your favorite question? <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is going to be really interesting thinking maybe I go to another state, but I, 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 I traditionally always ask every guest, how do you tend to your mental health these days? <laughs> that is a really good question. I have established th through all of this, I came to realize who my trusted healthcare providers are. Will I go outside of that network of people I trust? Probably not. Um, so how do I tend to it today? So there's a really awesome book that I would recommend to people. And if I could remember the title of it, <laughs> it is by, it's by a guy named Vic Wank. And it's probably sitting on my shelf over here. It's, oh, here we go. It's called Mind Easing by Vic Wank. And so that's a really good book I read. So I do a lot of, a lot of reading, a lot of self-help stuff. Um, he has in his book, one page that refers to his prescription for, you know, he, he has a, like a three level approach in the book, whatever, but his prescription that works for a lot of people. And he, he calls it meds, right? M is for meditation. E is for exercise. D is for diet. And S is for stress, sleep, and spending. And he basically talks about keeping track of those kinds of things can help a lot of people. And so journaling is something that is often recommended um, by people in the mental health care realm. And so journaling is something that, yeah, I find helpful too. a lot of people do. And I sort of think about every day, what am I doing sort of to give myself that calm, that peace? So that'd be like a meditation type of a thing, right? Am I getting enough exercise? Am I eating right? So it's basically self-care. Right. So what am I doing to take care of my mental health? I'm focusing on self-care. 
and I'm sticking with my trusted healthcare professionals. Good answer. Yeah. Hundred percent. And yeah, I would suggest that for anybody. How, uh, if you want them to, how do people get a hold of you? Well, now there's a really good question. Um, I hadn't thought about an answer to that. So I find myself very unprepared. Don't really want to give out my phone number, my personal email. Where, where can oh, they, where what do you guys suggest? Where can they find the story if they besides here, like if they wanted to read a more in-depth version, because you, you have told this story. In other yep. Yep. Um, the version that they could find and they could probably contact me through the editor of, of, of the publication too, is at the Shooters Committee on Political Education, which is an organization in New York state in their January, February, 2021 newsletter. I believe it's on pages six and seven. They had me cut it down to just a couple pages. It was like four pages long. Um, Cause originally I had included the, the letter that I wrote to the director of the facility where this, this occurred and basically explained how he did something I didn't think was even possible. He convinced me that seeking mental health care was not in my best interest. <laughs> right. I, I didn't wow. even think it was possible. Wow. And it happened. It's it's the truth. Yeah, he, he was a nice guy. He called me within two days of mailing that letter, mailed it on a Monday. He called me on Wednesday and and he's like, I'm so sorry that this happened. I'm embarrassed that it happened here. And, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was uh, he was embarrassed about it. He also is a gun owner. Oh. Um, yeah. Useful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think if people look up the story on, you know, Scope, Shooters Committee on Political Education, look for it in that particular issue of the newsletter, you know, and if they have questions, you know, the editor actually contacted me uh, and put me in touch with somebody else who wanted to talk to me. And they wanted to talk to me because they had a family member that also had this circumstance happen. Hmm. Um, that person's story is available online, but doesn't that person doesn't want to be named. Um, so I did have a conversation with that, that particular person. Um, but yeah, so yeah, my story's out there. And I'm really sorry I hadn't thought about how to contact me. That's okay. Sometimes people like to, you know, drop their Instagram or their, you know, their whatever their Facebook or Twitter handle. So, um, yeah. Well, you know, I am on Facebook. I don't, I don't go on it very often. I'm not much of a um, social media person, but I do. You never know. You might become one. You might become the face of this uh, opposition. We've had we've had some people on the show who have stumbled their way into other advocacy areas, and uh, I have a feeling this is going to be a purpose in my life going forward. Maybe so. Maybe so. I, I think it I think it will be because people should be well. People should have the opportunity to be well. It should not be taken from them yeah. by law. Yeah, irrespective of uh, culture or demographic. I, I totally agree. Right. Well, uh, appreciate you carving out the time. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for contacting us. Uh, it's, a, it's a big deal. And uh, we appreciate you, Me- Mental Health America for connecting us, too. They've been a long partner from with Walk the Talk America for a really long time. And uh, this is uh, bearing fruit. So the more we can you know, push back against these ridiculous laws that not only don't help people, but actually cause harm and keep people from care while simultaneously attacking rights, 
uh, the better off we'll all be. So let's let's kind of rally the troops, I guess, and, and try to try to change some of this stuff. So thank you, Sandy, on behalf of Walk the Talk America and certainly our sponsor, Arms Corps, which continues to support our efforts, uh, certainly through this podcast, but in other ways as well. Uh, on behalf of my organization, Zephyr Wellness, we wish you all great wellness, and we will see you in the future. Bye-bye. Do we really want to be in a place where people who own guns feel that they can't access mental health care? Do we want to be there?